What's going on, Pounders? Today we have a special impromptu midweek podcast to recap last week's earnings. If you have not checked out our interview with Boris Jordan, founder of Cureleaf, we did that last week, and we got a lot more interviews coming up this week and beyond. Today we have two of the founders of PeakBot, this incredible new trading bot that we're going to be discussing here at the end of the podcast. Let's get right into it. I wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500. Because they're sheep. Down 1.7% here, a loss of 37 points or so. Apple shares are just getting hammered this morning. We're down by between 3 and 4.5% generally across these markets. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. We're red everywhere, essentially, down by 4 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 86 of Pounding the Table. Given a second podcast this week, if you guys have not checked it out, we did a awesome interview with Boris Jordan of Cureleaf. So that is live on YouTube and on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite streaming device. But we're here on Monday recording because last week was such a crazy earnings week and we had to dive in. And so because we had the interview, we're going to be giving you guys a second episode here to dive into earnings. So Joey and Shy, how are we feeling today? I'm feeling good. I mean, we're recording on the day where Melly's about to break the range, so I'm stoked that they're approaching 1500 finally. Love it. Joey, how are you feeling, buddy? I'm good, man. It was a long weekend of yard work, and it just sprucing the place up, so now I'm ready to get back to it. Monday, fun day. Love it. We had, we don't really record on Mondays, so this will be fun. Shy, why don't we start off with you? It was so fun. You wanted to talk about that. That was on Monday before the Open from last week. Yeah, so if I had a good earnings, I wouldn't call it great. However, it did go up 15, 20%. I was hoping that it would maintain going above $10, but the price action right now is, I think, it's approaching nine. I think the biggest hard point right now for uh, investors is they're still not gap positive on like net income. And it was good to hear on the call that they're going to hit that in Q4. But it's kind of tricky again, like this is the same discussion people always have. Like, do you value this as a bank stock or a tech stock? Right now, their tech segment in the business isn't really performing well. However, the bank side is outperforming all expectations right now. So management is talking about both those margins will lever in Q4. And I think that's uh, going to be a very interesting time to potentially get into this stock to see when the margins and the actual dollars will come back on the bottom line. Joe, anything you want to add on SoFi? Yeah. So they do get a lot of slack when it's trying to figure out, should you value it like a bank? Should you value it like a tech stock? I personally love SoFi, the platform. I have a retirement account there. I've been thinking about just adding more to it because I do like that they're making this all-in-one financial super app. And I talked about my dream of PayPal acquiring SoFi and basically stealing it. Then you know it to be the CEO of the combined company because I feel like those two together would be magical. But as much as I love SoFi, the platform, I still think of it as basically a new form of a bank. And the thing that really gets me is that it's a former SPAC. You can't undo the fact that you're, you did a SPAC merger to come public. And you know, it just everything that comes with that. So I feel like that is what's really held the stock back. Hey, have they done a traditional IPO? You know, it, it could have more institutional support, something along the lines where you don't have that stench attached to it. And maybe it, you know, command a higher multiple, but great company, great platform, incredible CEO. 
but it's still not one that I'm really itching to buy because, you know, there's so many other opportunities out there that I, I guess I trust more and don't think of as, you know, like a legacy bank that's just kind of fancier. So I, I didn't realize they were a SPAC. I think you had, now that I'm recollecting, I think you have said that on a past podcast, but. I think it was IPOC of uh, Chamath's because IPOA was. That's right. Uh, that's right. Working Galactic, IPOB was open door. So they have kind of taken the stink off of the SPAC a little bit, but I I agree with you then too. I mean, when at this point though, they've had to go through the SEC and like, obviously they've gone through their finances. So at this point, you're still thinking that people are smelling some SPACs. It's just the fact that it has that stench attached to it. I feel like it is one of the most legitimate SPAC murders because I fully trust in Anthony Noto and it is an actual company. I think their projections are legitimate. The problem is it's kind of like if you're the one legitimate player amongst 10 others that have just blown up and, and not worked out well, it's just if you'll be seen differently in the market. And I, I just, it's like elephants never forget. Like I'll never forget that this was a SPAC and that like just little thing in the back of my mind paired with not loving, absolutely loving the investment. It, it kind of like culminates into one. I guess no go for me. So they're valued about eight point eight three, almost nine billion. There, nine dollars thirty cents strike price right now. Uh, where you guys see them in the next six months? Their their high looks about twenty five. Maybe went a little higher than that right when they uh, opened up. But I I do think a lot of uh, institutions or even like traditional investors are waiting for them to report that gap net income like quarter. Mm-hmm. So once that happens, I think it will give like the green light to come in. However, like, I don't know. It's tricky. I'm impressed with what Noto has done. Like he's experienced some pretty insane headwinds with like student loan payments being paused, the SPAC stench that he had to remove. And he has a pretty insane incentive plan that if the stock does hit $45, he's going to make bank like a lot of money. So he's very incentivized of trying to get this as close to a dollar price as possible. And he was really aggressive on his like stock buyback, like when it was under five dollars. So that's exactly what you want to see as a leader. But again, I'm like on the same boat as everyone else, just waiting for that one quarter for them to report some positive gap in that income. Shy, did you know he follows us on Twitter, Anthony Noto? That would be such a get for us and him, just like to have some kind of interview similar to what we just did with Boris Jordan and similar to what we're gonna do this week with the Celsius CEO. Yeah. I remember well, when you uh, followed my old Joey Rockets account and I just messaged him saying like, yeah, because, you know, like a lot of people will hit follow and, and that's back when the blue check mark meant something. Yeah. So I, when he followed me and I was like, oh, crap, Anthony Noto, what's up, man? And he just kind of like sent a waving emoji back. That's it, cool. Huh? It, was, it was just kind of cool that, you know, he's <laughs> on there. But then again, he follows like 15,000 people. So not really that special. If you get it, but still, yeah, it's Anthony Noto. He's a beast. So if you're listening, Anthony, we want you on the podcast. Let's uh, move over to Zoom Info. Joey, I know, I don't think we really touched on it last pod, but we were talking off the podcast and you were saying just how much they got absolutely trashed here in this earnings. So that makes sense. I think from being given the software sales background I've had, as, as things starting to tighten up, that is an area where they, they could probably cut a little bit, but. What, what happened? I didn't dig into the earnings there. So what happened with them? Well, so Zoom Info, it's a sales intelligence software. It's, it's pretty crazy what this company can do. So essentially, if you have a subscription to Zoom Info and you want to look up 
anybody's contact information. You put in their name, you're going to have their email, their office phone, their cell phone. Like it's, it's pretty impressive the amount of information they have on individuals. So it's huge for sales teams. Now you go back to the fact that all these companies are laying off thousands of workers. They might not need that many seats. And I did see a report come out where like a Zoom Info executive was saying these startups that raised money thought they need like 100 seats. Then overnight, they only needed 20. So like these projections that they had called for one number, but then they quickly change overnight. So that that led to this quarter where it was a decent report, but their outlook was just horrendous. So you see the stock tank. I want to say it was down like 5%. And I mean, you look at the valuation, it's trading at like less than eight times sales. It's profitable cash flow machines. So it's very inexpensive right now. But the problem is a very inexpensive stock doesn't mean an undervalued stock because you have to value it based on the growth, profitability, everything. And the numbers just aren't moving in the direction that investors thought they would. So it's kind of like a penalty box type play now where you want to see where this one shakes out. You don't want to try to catch a falling knife, but you also got to recognize that, you know, this is you know, the gold standard of sales intelligence software. So yeah. the right price, but I do want to see, you know, I'd rather buy this on the upswing rather than trying to pick a bottom. Yeah. They bought discover.org a few years ago. So the technology, I agree with you, is phenomenal, but to your point, and just seeing where kind of software sales is going. We're talking about the advent of AI and how much that's coming into play where companies may not be hiring BDRs anymore, where they needed 20 seats for BDR team. Now it's the sales team is also the BDR team, which I'm hearing quite a bit about. And so that trajectory, I think with Zoom Info, those growth may not match up. What I do see happening is, you know, a lot of smaller seats, right? A lot of uh, entrepreneurs and things buying that. But that's going to be, you know, a $20 per seat license versus going to enterprise scale. So, yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you know, like if there's a software that you use personally in sales, I, I go directly to you. I went to a couple of friends, other friends that are in sales as well. And even looking up like software review websites, Gartner, G2 Crowd, all these different ones, one that kept popping up with this Apollo.io. So I was looking into it at like this new... I don't, I won't even say it's new, but it's like a legitimate player in the same space where it's getting a ton of very positive reviews. So like, could Zoom Info be, you know, losing ground to one of these innovators in the space? I don't know it all well enough. I've never used them to actually know. But originally when I researched Zoom Info at the IPO, it was like the gold standard, no one even close to them. But now to see this other company coming up on them, and I know Salesforce.com has... I forget what they need. Einstein, I want to yeah. say, yeah, yeah, where yeah. I have some of the same um, features of it. So, you know, it could be a crowded market eventually to where picking the top dog first mover isn't always the best case. One of many to where you just kind of yeah. want to. I think they are the, the, the gold standard. They're like more mostly like lead gen. So they bought discover.org, which is like org maps and understanding how different players work within the organization, obviously. But um, and then the gold standard of like the white pages, basically for anyone in business. Now it could be, you know, we always talk about the hypotheticals is to see where they are going in with AI. Cause there's this awesome company that's called, I think it's called air.ai where it's literally, it sounds a little robotic, but it's getting damn close where it sounds like a human calling. So if they came up with something where 
you know, you bring on Zoom info and it comes with the BDR team where they're calling, you know, it's it's AI cloned voices. That could be interesting, you know, with their database and then they build that out. But that's purely a hypothetical, you know, thought that I'm having. But I don't, you know, that, that could be something very interesting down the road. Or I just could. pulled up this air.ai if you said it. This is insane if that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. You can have an entire sales team like train immediately by AI. That would yeah, be- they have a sample of it with like the Tesla. They, you know, someone calls a Tesla, sets up a meeting with it. It's definitely off, but this is, you know, phase one of it. So give them six months, give them a year. Like this technology is not that. I mean, there's a lot of companies that can do this cloned voicing uh, AI piece, which is a whole nother discussion. That's that's a wild conversation we could have for a full hour. But let's move along to uh, Uber. Speaking of automation. Uber did not do as well as we thought. What happened with Uber here? I mean, I think they did do well. I just think it ran so much this year that a lot of things were priced in already. You can see, like, just reading through the report, though, like how aggressive management is trying to get them to be as profitable as yeah. possible so they can get into the S&P. That's interesting. I also, another thing I lo- like seeing that is Waymo Driver will be available on Uber later this year. So I think that partnership is going to be really interesting in how they're going to scale. And uh, it's nice to see Uber One keep inching up on the percentage of total rev for the company since I'm a big fan of Uber One. Everyone I know has Uber One. So if that becomes a higher percentage of revenue, margins should be expanding going forward as well. They launched this Uber Teens program where parents can kind of monitor or add kids to the account to start transporting. I personally like having kids. I think that's... Yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable with that just yet. I know there's some smaller players like specifically designed for transporting kids, but thought at least that expands their potential user base. But yeah, overall, it, it was a pretty solid quarter. The cash flow is still record quarterly free cash flow of $1.1 billion. Like it's very impressive. But like Shai said, they're really pushing for the profitable quarters. They got to get the streak alive to get into the S&P and then they can go back into investment mode. But Again, like Shai said, this stock just had an epic run. I, I know like after the market closed before they reported earnings, the stock was up like 3% after hours the day before the report, just in anticipation of this. And you know, initially popped, ended up coming back down. But now it's where, you know, people got to figure out what price they're willing to pay for it. But, you know, in the mid 40s, it, it seems pretty attractive to me. I kind of want to let it come in a little bit more before I start adding to my position. But yeah, it's it's quite the company and, you know, like the Waymo thing, everything with autonomous driving, eventually leveraging Uber to have like these autonomous or full self-driving Ubers, you know, like think of the margin and the cash flow that could come from that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the future of this company is quite bright. And even though the market cap might seem big, it still pales in comparison to what this could be long term. Yeah, I was just reading they did something with Hyundai partnership. Um what about the Evitals? Like, I mean, that, that's something that we, we used to talk about all the time, but they've got Ubercopter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's a whole nother sector in the next five years that will be off the ground, literally and metaphorically. Yeah. And then think if they relaunch or expand Scuba, which we talked about last time, <laughs> like <laughs> you want to travel by land. Uber. It's all Uber. Exactly. Pinterest, <laughs> shy. I'm going to send this one to you because Pinterest, you were hyping up. You thought they would crush it on earnings. And they uh, did not crush it on earnings, right? What, what I didn't. Wait, wait, that's oh. that's like Shai's first miss. We got to fire him, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you get you <laughs> get strikes. He, he's earned his keep, but yeah, you get two more. So, 
<laughs> What's uh, what happened here with Pinterest, though, Shay? This is a classic example for you degenerate gamblers out there. Like, if you're at the roulette table and you see like red, 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 keep hitting the board, you're going to assume blacks can come next. So you're going to bet on black. That was kind of my thesis on Pinterest gapping up from their earnings because all of like the ad tech sector and their competitors like really outperformed their earnings. So I assumed that Pinterest would also follow suits. That was not the case. Management definitely is fumbling the ball. I don't really know what's happening behind the scenes. Maybe their investor day is in a couple of weeks. So maybe they just wanted to make the expectations even lower so they can exceed that during that day. But I would not feel comfortable being a Pinterest investor right now. Like they're cheap, but I think again, they're in like middle of nowhere, like on a valuation basis, like not making enough money on the bottom line. They're not growing enough on the top line. Like they're just gonna be stagnant until they make some kind of bold play or they're just going to sell off or merge with like someone like Etsy or maybe PayPal can finally buy them and PayPal can go the e-commerce routes. Something's going to happen because right now the way they're executing is not okay. So that was kind of like our same thinking with PayPal, but PayPal, I guess, does that really apply? We've on several shows. We've said like that just because something has happened doesn't mean that it's going to either continue to happen or that it won't happen and, and go the reverse. Right. So For Pinterest, is that even extra scary that the fact that everyone else did very well and even in that great environment? I definitely think that's a huge factor because when you look at, you know, like Google, Meta, everybody in ad was crushing, except, you know, Snapchat didn't do all that great. But you got Trade Desk later this week. And if they crush it, then it's kind of like Pinterest is the odd man out, I guess, like the good platforms that really did not do well. But, you know, one of the things with Pinterest, they've always had in their back pocket that they could do is just let people check out on the Pinterest platform and take a cut of that of that actual sale. Now, that was like the whole value prop of Pinterest at the time of the IPO was, hey, we're not going to take a percentage of your sales. You're not checking out our platform. We're just, you know, like the lead generator for you. And that's why companies were spending like twice as much marketing on there because, you know, they're not taking a cut of the end sale, not like dropping cookies in a browser type thing. Like you're going to the site, you're checking out to them and like Pinterest did their part by helping you find it. Then they started adding these cool things. Like you could look at a, a picture with, you know, eight different items in it. It's all got separate pins, like a setup room. But yeah, if like you could add something to your cart on Pinterest, check out on Pinterest, like that I think is what PayPal had in mind when they wanted to acquire them is like, we'll be the checkout option on Pinterest. People could add stuff to their cart, check out through PayPal and like all in one type e-commerce platform without actually owning the inventory or anything else. It's kind of like the connector. You, we, you get inspired by something by searching for it on Pinterest, you check out right there. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like Pinterest has fallen so far behind in the game that, yeah, they've tried revamping the C-suite, all these different things. Sadly, I think like the only path forward for Pinterest is to sell themselves. And last time that didn't really work out well for them. <laughs> so... Maybe they could find another buyer, but something's got to give for them eventually. Yeah. I mean, it's inexcusable to put top line single digits, but still be gap negative. Like you can't have both those things. Something's going wrong. And uh, Pinterest missed their moment during COVID to like really capitalize and do something like out of the box where it's going to front load like their growth for the next five to 10 years. So Tony was talking about last week with chips, chips, chips. It looks like AMD initially kind of shit the bed, but then they've slowly recovered here over the past few days. Yeah, I mean, they did not have a good quarter. It was very mixed. 
best case was mixed, but I lean towards it was kind of a bad quarter. Uh, it was not not nice to see like their inventory going up twenty percent year to date. That's not what you want to see like in this industry. However, I do think AMD is a pretty good long term play. I just don't think it's going anywhere until they tackle that inventory and also they top missing their gap estimates. Like AMD constantly misses their gap estimates. It's more their financials are always like like wonky, but their product and like the business that model and like. CEO, like management, like people love those things. So they make up for like their gap misses always. But I think AMD is still a good long-term play in the chip industry. Looks like they're at extremely high expenses. I'm just looking here on the on the Snapchat. But the revenue, is this correct? Net, net income was down 93% year on year. I remember seeing the CEO talking on CNBC and it was like a big investment time for them because they've got to ramp up this new chip that they've got. Yeah. So I can see net income being down because they're just reinvesting everything they're making into this new one. But yeah, again, it, it just didn't seem like the best quarter. And I hate companies with tons of inventory. And to see an inventory build on a chip company when there's such a high demand for said chips, it just, it's not a good look. I'd rather it be like an NVIDIA situation where there's so much demand they can't keep up and everything that's made is nearly going out the door. That's more of a company that I want to deal with. All right, boys, we got to rapid fire through these. Uh, let's get into PayPal. So PayPal is one that we've been pretty strong on the past you know, few weeks we've been talking. They kind of shit the bed here. And as we discussed last week, they need a, I think in the next two weeks, they're going to be naming a new CEO. Is that right, Shay? Q4 this year. Uh, they reiterated that on the call. So expect, I think it's going to be sooner because the desperately needs it or it's going to hit $60 or go below that. Maybe that was hopeful in the next two weeks then. <laughs> yeah. Joey, what happened with PayPal though? What, like top line was off or what was going on with them? That no, from what I saw, the revenue in EPS was exactly expected or better. Alec was good, but they like missed on one metric of operating margin. And I guess like the one miss and lo and behold, it goes down. Yeah, they, people were hoping we'd hear about a new CEO and it, the same spiel was given. It's, uh, I feel like the CEO moves is what everybody's waiting on. Um, if they can just announce somebody and not some internal candidate no one's ever heard of, like find some superstar to come in or some superstar board member, something to, to get people excited again. But yeah, it was operating margin, the disappointed and yeah, the stock just tanked, which I felt like way, was way overdone, but. Then I saw I was trading at like 11 times forward earnings. And it feels like, you know, like the meta situation when it got down to low hundreds and even like 90s and 80s, like the forward multiple is just ridiculous. And yeah, it's kind of like an apples or just comparison, PayPal to meta. But when I see, you know, like this market share leading monster trading at such an inexpensive valuation that's still growing at a, at a pretty impressive rate. And to see just how much throughput they're doing and like total payment volume. That's yeah. one that I, I'm circling to start adding to this position. Yeah, I added a little bit more today because I saw the news on the stable coin too. They just launched through Paxos. K Crypto's kind of had this dark cloud over its head, obviously with FTX and pretty much everything hitting the fan at once. But slowly but surely, again, we've talked about these big institutions starting to get in the space. PayPal is another big name to make a splash here today with their stable coins. It's up 2%, I think, today, last time I checked, but um, that could give it some legs. And hopefully with the new CEO, I agree, it's been one that's been beaten down for, for far too long. 
guy. Let's take it over to you, Niti. Uh, that was dumb, but go ahead and talk about Unity. I know that's one that you've been talking about the past few weeks here. Yeah, Unity had a good quarter. It wasn't great, but I'm going to stick with good, especially since my vision for them is like four to five years down the line. It was nice to like, hear from management some like bullish sentiment. It's been a while since they actually like were like excited about like their growth as they're coming back. Something I want to call out that was interesting is management hinted that the revenue for 2025 should be $4 billion a year. All the consensus analysts right now, that's like 30% less than that. It's like around $3 billion. So that disconnect of 3 to $4 billion, that's a pretty big guide up that is not really talked about. So it's like under the surface where if that if they actually do hit $4 billion by 2025, this is a $100 stock at this point. Like it is... With the amount of tailwinds they're going to have in AR and VR, making $4 billion a year in 2025, they had margin expansion finally hit 70%. Ad re- ads are coming back, the dollar back into that business model. It's super exciting to be part of it. And another call out I want to do is this isn't just a gaming play anymore. Like um, Unity also called out that industries outside gaming accounted for 30% of the subscription revenue and create solutions. So this isn't just about gaming. This is truly a platform for just all everything in 3D. It's going to start expanding. Like 30% will start getting bigger and bigger and slowly just going to be an entertainment play now as for Unity, not just gaming. So that was awesome to see as well. They do need their uh, dollar-based protection though. I'm sorry. I was just going to say they're, they're down about 12% here the past five days. Recovered a little bit from from that earnings, but then has been dripping down. Now it's 39.82 uh, as of the time of this recording. So if you liked it at uh, 44, you must love it at 39.82. Oh yeah. I mean, if this was like, if they were reporting gap positive numbers, this would be a top five position for me. Right now they're, it's like eighth, but um, I love everything they're doing right now. Wow. Well, that Unity's success plays directly into Meta and like their quest headset so it's almost like my position in meta benefits from unity just like how we're about to talk about melee and melee success plays directly into paypal's favor because paypal invested in them just like uber success plays right into paypal because paypal invested in uber at the time of the ipo so everything kind of leads back into these other positions where you can benefit without direct direct exposure why don't we just go right into melee melee has been cruising up almost five percent today 1360 now. You think it can finally break? Oh, it already is. It broke. It's officially broke. If it can stay above 1300. What was the line in the sand for you guys? It's like below 1300s. If it beats that and closes above that, it's going to run. And I was like telling my buddy this past weekend, it's like crazy how many times Millie just destroys their earnings that constantly executing it's like i'm so glad i finally got to get into this position um before this quarter quarterly earnings so i can finally ride this metaphorically killing earnings uh amazon and apple so amazon has been helping the s p out and absolutely crushed earnings people are getting excited you've been talking about that one joey is kind of the laggard of the big what is the the new fang what's it called now now they're called like the Magnificent Seven, which I feel is just ridiculous. Okay, it's like the but, big yeah, Amazon. The thing about Amazon is like AWS is an absolute monster. And like when I, I kept 
I was actually getting some of this in like the 90s. I think I, I bought a position in like the mid 80s when like talk about the actual valuation at that level. You know, the, the market cap was ridiculous. I think it's under a trillion. But yeah, it was a great quarter overall. It was like 11% revenue growth, but AWS showing 12% growth and very positive uh, commentary about AWS going forward. And that's just like, you know, the, the cash flow machine that feeds the rest of the beast. So to see them make all the positive comments on AWS that helps lift all the cloud stocks uh, following the report, which then kind of faded as, you know, overall market sensitivity kind of, you know, watered down the rest of the, or watered down all the software plays. But yeah, it was a great report by them overall and it kind of solidified that, you know, AWS and, and all of the cloud computing, I guess it kind of bottomed maybe a quarter or two ago when demand was softening. But yeah, it, it was just a great quarter overall. And I think I added to it in like the mid 130s as the report came out, just because, you know, everything about it screamed that this company needs to be significantly higher. Joey, do you think um, Melly can build their own AWS eventually? Yeah. So we talked about this before where, you know, Melly's kind of following that Amazon playbook to a T. Now, Melly uses AWS, but mm-hmm. they've got such, I guess, like a vast network of warehouses, everything that kind of Amazon did originally to where I feel like, you know, it could be 10 years out, but I do feel like a Melly Web Services is something that they could launch. But the thing is, they've got, you know, payments is still growing so fast. E-commerce is growing so fast. Everything about the business is growing so quickly that they don't need another growth area right now. So I feel like they will wait for everything else to slow down to then launch something else that could accelerate growth going forward. So that that's kind of how I see it. This could be like 10 years down the road because, you know, this company is still, you know, as they've performed so well, it's still only a $68 billion company. And you think of, you know, everywhere that they're operating, just how large this company could be long-term, it's, it's impressive. We were talking about Warren Buffett because we didn't mention uh, Berkshire Hathaway on this last call. So, uh, what's going on, Joe? You wanted to talk about Warren Buffett. So Berkshire released, I think it was like Saturday morning, pretty great operating metrics, everything. It's got a $150 billion cash pile. And it was interesting to see that stock up 3.9% as Apple was actually down. Yeah, it's down 2% because Apple's like 40 or 41% of their portfolio. But yeah, I mean, Berkshire is just a cash flow machine. Uh, all those insurance businesses, everything just kind of you know, fire all, all cylinders for them. All right, we got through the big boys, but there was a few others that, Shai, I know you wanted to talk about uh, for DigitalOcean, Transmedics, and I think it was Symbiotic was the other company? Yeah, so I'll start with DigitalOcean. Uh, so everyone doesn't freak out because they had a gap down 25% last earnings. Um, there's a couple things I didn't like seeing. However, my thesis for them is intact still. SMBs are hurting. They're hurting way more than enterprises. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. So that's why the management for DigitalOcean did that pivot of doesn't matter how much dollars you can contribute to sales or marketing, like the top line will not, there's a cap on the top line during this kind of environment. So they're focusing on like being as profitable as possible. So like they have 40% EBITDA margins, 25% net income margins. Like at $35, it's a very cheap stock right now. And they're in an industry with a lot of tailwind. So I don't like that their core business is shrinking, but I do think it's more macro than company execution. 
The last thing I want to talk about, next thing I want to talk about is Transmetics. They're also dipping post earnings. They had a really strong earnings. Um, I think this is a mini monster. I think they're kind of pivoting with the acquisition of the aviation company. They're going to become like a full logistic network play. And when you have that market cap of less than a couple billion in a with their tech that's disrupting what a, this whole industry what it used to be like, all these things align, like they're going to be a monster going forward. So I'm like pounding the table on them under seven, around $70. I'm going to be like DCA slowly building up the position in 3% of my portfolio. Uh, there's nothing my thesis for them actually grew, not just in tech, like with becoming that like logistic weight, their moat's going to be incredible and their TAM is going to get even wider now as well. Wow. So they're at 2.3 billion today. Uh, it looks like they started the run in January of 22 and it was $15 around a stock. So it's been running right now, but you still like it even at that 71 here. They're growing so fast that they had to acquire an aviation company because the brokers they're using at the moment, I like, couldn't fulfill all the orders they needed to like, fulfill with the growth. So I think they're just growing way faster than anticipated and I do think that where they're at right now, actually $70 and like 90 cents is a pretty big price point. Like it hasn't really hit their uh, 40 day weekly moving average since July of 2022. And it's at that point right now. So it really has to bounce around here. If it doesn't, I don't think it would dip that much more just because their growth is so insane. It should be free cash flow positive sometime next year. Now you got symbiotic. I know you wanted to touch on quickly and then. We got some exciting guests here coming up in just a moment that you're going to be able to watch essentially like the Bible. Again, the problem with the Bible was the static. So we're going to be actually sharing a portfolio that we're going to be working on here in just a second, but run through Symbiotic and then we'll kick it over to our guest here. Yeah, Symbiotic is a new name uh, on my radar. I know Joey was slamming this name like in the 20s and uh, I think right now it's trading in their 50s. Uh, it's definitely an interesting play. It's similar to like uh, my impinge play of like playing on consumers and like the new retail and like how things are going to be looking in that kind of industry. They're growing their top line like 50% for ne next three years. And they are like free cash flow positive with like, 12% margins. Like their gross margin isn't great, but it's expanding. Uh, I didn't love that they kind of gapped up from their earnings because they exceeded all expectations and then immediately did a secondary offering. That was like annoying. I was like a slap to your face as a investor. But I do think this is something that's going to be high on my watch list. And it's something I've watched to do some more research on. So I don't think this is like really talked about that much in the FinTwit community. Joey, any last thoughts? Talking earnings related or just this general week. comments? Just general commentary. Yeah, we have another... Very strong week of earnings this week. After we post this podcast, we're going to get results from Palantir. So we'll have an update on that in the next podcast. We'll also be getting Datadog on Tuesday morning. You got Upstart, Twilio, Celsius after it closed Tuesday. Roblox before the market opens on Wednesday. And then Disney and the Trade Desk after the market closes. Then Thursday, you got Alibaba, which I know Avi, uh, you've been liking of late. And Ionic, which Shai really likes. So it's another big week. And I feel like, you know, earnings are going to dominate the next podcast as well. So enjoy the talk from our guests and back in what, three or four days with another podcast. 
I got to tell you, I'm very nervous. 30% of my portfolio is reporting in the next 24 hours. I, I can be either very happy, I can be very sad. So like, I have a lot. Long- Good stuff. Let's head it over to uh, the boys over at PeakBot. As you guys all know, we get hit up all the time with different applications and things to promote, and we turn most of it down, but these guys caught our attention and they were willing to put their money where their mouth was. So we talk about a lot of different stocks, but now there's a way to kind of follow our portfolio. And so they actually funded an account that you guys can all follow along with. So we're going to bring them on. We did the Bible, but that was static. And we realized that's probably not the best thing to do since the market is so fluid. So now you can follow our live portfolio. So Welcome to Pounding the Table, boys. So much for having us, Avi. We're excited to be here. I'm Dylan. This is my co-founder, Ben, that we're joined by. This is two-thirds of the PeakBot co-founders. We got a third partner, Dalton, uh, who happens to be my younger brother. He's just actually moving to Florida en route right now, so he got away with this one. But thanks so much for having us. We'd love to share a little bit more about our platform. Uh, I think your audience, as you mentioned, definitely has an appetite for... um, automating their trading and removing emotions and saving time. So we'd love to maybe just introduce ourselves really quickly. And then you tell us what makes sense. How does yeah, that give, a, give a quick background, because I think it's cool. You guys are we're listeners. You guys have your day jobs and you've been building this on the side. And so if you can qu- give a quick background on yourselves and then why you wanted to build it and where you guys are at today, because it's pretty impressive. Perfect, man. I, I really appreciate that. So yeah, I'm Dylan Del Rosso. I'm one of the co-founders, as I already mentioned a couple times. I come from the world of sports sales, believe it or not. I don't know if we have any sports fans on listening here, but I worked for the New York Jets before it was cool to work for the New York Jets. I'm selling their luxury suites to businesses. Um, I've done a couple other sales jobs prior to that. And now I'm actually in sales and marketing for HR services. Not nearly as fun as some of the stuff we're working on now, but that's the day job. So I manage the sales, marketing, and business development side of things here at PeakBot. And I'll kick it to Brent, to Ben here, more of the brains behind PeakBot to introduce himself, and then we'll get into it. Cool. cool. Thanks, Dylan. I am, I'm a CPA by education. I did the whole thing the, with the test, got my license. I got my master's in accounting. I went through all that, only to realize a couple of years in that I didn't want to be a CPA anymore. And it's actually really interesting, and just to go slightly off topic, but I want to point out that myself, Dylan, and Dalton, none of us are quote-unquote industry guys, right? Like we started PeakBot because we had a need that we wanted to fill in our own lives, like going out and working, you know, a nine-to-five, nine-to-six every day for myself. I needed I needed a bot that could trade for me to trade my strategies. So as we're talking with potential investors and advisors and everything, they're kind of taken back. They're like, you guys aren't industry guys. You're not coming from a fund. Um, so just a fun fact, I, I thought that, Every time we have those conversations, I think it's uh, it's important to note that, hey, we're not industry guys. We're just normal people, like the people listening to this podcast that had a need and we were trying to fill that need. I still got a day job with the same company I started with uh, as a CPA, but I moved into consulting. Um, I do consulting for commercial strategies now. I know that's pretty vague, but um, really enjoying it. And then, yeah, PeakBot is the, the nighttime and weekend job. In case your managers are listening, you're trying to underplay how much you guys are probably devoting to this. I get it. That's (laughs) right. Exactly. (laughs) So this very high level, you're at a bar, you're trying to explain quickly what PeakBot does. Dylan, if you can just give a high level overview of what you guys do. I'm glad you asked me. I wasn't going to let Ben answer that. So elevator pitch on PeakBot. So essentially, PeakBot has automated the stock 
trading process for the everyday person. So what we've done is we take well-known, relatively low-risk trading strategies that exist manually for years and years and years, and we automate them. So this isn't a get-rich-quick thing, right? This is very much, hey, while you're working your nine to five, you can't stare at a stock chart all day. And even if you could, you got to know what you're doing, right? So this product is built for the 99% of people who are too busy or not educated enough to take advantage of the stock market. We're actually commercial developers with TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab. Uh, We've been around for three years. We beta tested for two of them. We commercially launched the product last August. So the whole setup, we wanted this to be easy, affordable, and transparent. There's no household name for automated trading in 2023, which we think is kind of crazy, right? Fellas, I mean, 75% of trades that are executed in the States are traded by an algorithm. Yet everyday people like us are still walking around without a stock trader in our pocket. We wanted to change that by providing hands-free trading. That's a long bar conversation, but hopefully- I was about uh, to say, if you started telling me that at a bar, I probably would have went and yeah. <laughs> No, I think I already had you in my uh, it, you know, it gives a, a good high-level overview. So anytime dealing with money, our, my biggest concern is, can I trust these guys, right? They have access to my TD. So you guys have essentially API access to, to TD. When you guys gave us the sponsorship money, we put that into the portfolio, right? So I think that's a cool way to work with people. Like you guys aren't just paying us necessarily. We're going to show live how we're going to be trading with the peak bot, with the stocks that we're talking about. We actually offer three different automated strategies right now that are live in the market. We have one equities trading strategy, uh, which is called Momentum. Momentum is a swing trading equity strategy. Hold you in a position for about two to five days on average. Our whole goal here is to get you in on 75% of an uptrend while keeping you out of 75% of a downtrend. So for your listeners who are out there who maybe are still dipping their toe in stocks and maybe they haven't traded options prior, this might be a good place for them to start. The average person might know that they want to trade Tesla if they have $2,000 sitting around. This is a really easy way to automate that. Our, Our most popular strategy is one of our options bots. It's called the wheel. Now, maybe some of your listeners have heard of this strategy before, much like our other bot, the Iron Condor. This is set up to collect passive income. So the whole concept, Avi, as you mentioned prior, the wheel, it actually sells cash secured puts and covered calls. So we're on the selling side of that, right? So essentially, their weekly contracts opens on Monday, expires on Friday. You're setting aside your cash as collateral. Mm-hmm. And if the stock finishes above that strike price this week, you don't have to utilize any of that cash. You collect your premium and do exactly the same thing the next week. However, about 25% of the time, you will get assigned your shares, which one contract is equal to 100 shares. If you do get assigned at the end of the week, the wheel actually automatically pivots into selling a covered call on your behalf for the following week. So the beauty of that is. You're collecting premium on both sides of that contract. Typically, it's anywhere between half a percent to 2% a week in premiums. But obviously, there's a compounding annualized effect to that. So I think that's very attractive to a lot of our listeners and to me myself, right? I always talk about beach stocks and and not having to sit at my desk all day. I don't want to constantly, right? And so this is built for me. I said of, of the three hosts here on the show. Exactly. So the way we wanted to set this up, and I know I'm stealing the mic here, Ben, feel free to jump in, but 
we wanted to, again, make this as simple as humanly possible. We're not financial advisors, and this is not financial advice. I know you guys probably play that game a lot. We can't select the stock for you, right? So we can't tell you what stock to trade or what contract to open. We can do some hand-holding, and we do, which is why we provide weekly watch lists that are actually updated based on the same indicators and everything that the bots are themselves. But it's a three-step process to get this done. Very quick and easy. First is select your bot, right? The, the strategy that I'll focus on, Avi, and, and I think what your audience should know is that we, we helped you fund uh, a wheel account, right? Yeah. Like you said, we put our money where our mouth is. We're going to be going head to head, your wheel account versus our wheel account. And we're going to see who can come out on challenge. top. We, should we? Yeah, oh, it's a challenge. You, you, and, and hopefully maybe your audience would want to get involved too and see if they can take us down. So the first step, select your bot. So I selected the wheel here. From there, it's just a matter of selecting your stocks. You have a watch list that you can choose from. I won't waste our time. I know Carvana's on there because it has been for months. So you just add the bot, add the stock, and select your budget. For this, you just need to enter how many contracts you want to sell, and it'll tell you the estimated amount. Now, this isn't going to do anything until Monday because that's when the contract would open, but I'm done. I hit activate. I agree. And now you can see my budget in bots has jumped up here and Carvana is now active for one contract and would be opened on Monday when we would start collecting some premium there. Will it trigger like the market call then or you, you have limits set in there then automatically? So yeah, we place limit orders and we place limit orders based on the bid price at the time that we're placing the order because we want these orders to get filled. But at the same time, we want to protect our traders from slippage. So we're not doing market orders. We'll place limit orders on whatever strike the bot thinks is right at the time. And in 100% transparency, because we're honestly trying to build this business based off of transparency, like we'll tell you what's behind the algorithm. We'll tell you exactly what it's doing. So like at 11 a.m. on Monday, the wheel is going to start scanning the market. It'll take a look at all the stops you have in your automated portfolio. And then it'll start looking for the strike price that if you're selling a cash secure put, it's looking for the negative 25 delta. And whatever, whatever strike price is closest to the negative 0.25 delta, that's the strike price that it's going to place an order for. And we choose that because as Dylan mentioned before, statistically, we're looking for about a 75% chance that your contract is going to expire out of the money, which again means you don't need to do anything else. You collect your premium, you enjoy the weekend, and you start the whole thing again on Monday. And then on covers called side, it's just the exact opposite. We're looking for the positive 25 delta. Premiums are roughly the same on each side, and the chances of getting assigned are roughly the same statistically on each side. We actually did a study of Q2 this year, all of our, our wheel trades, and I think it came out pretty damn close. I think it was like 74% of actually it 76% finished out of the money, 76% contracts finished out of the money. And then looking at, because there, there's another part of this too, it's not just premiums, like there's realized gains and, and losses here. Because when you get assigned shares, you get assigned at a certain strike. If that stock continues to fall, you could sell a covered call that's at a strike lower than what you were assigned at. If that gets called away, you have a realized loss at that point. On the flip side, we've been seeing a lot of the opposite. Uh, so when we compiled all of our trades, there was actually like a half a percent total across all PeakBot traders, about a half a percent in realized gains over the course of the quarter because the market's been hot, right? So yeah. what, all that means is you got assigned a position, 
when Monday came around, you sold a covered call. That strike on the covered call was higher than the strike that you got assigned at. And at the end of the way, at the end of the week, those shares got called away at a higher price. Sorry, I was going to say, how would Ben be doing in a bar with that explanation? <laughs> I'll shut up. Go, go ahead, Avi. Bar is going to be making a lot of money. He'll be, be chugging some drinks. <laughs> no, this is very cool, guys. And I know we'll be talking about this week on week and we'll be sharing our results. Shy, you've been awfully quiet over there. So I don't know if you have any. I always say like well, some of the best ideas are like when you hear them, like how was this not created before? And this is like one of those concepts. This makes so much sense. My, my girlfriend and all her friends, they want to get into this kind of realm of putting their money somewhere, but they're petrified of what brokers you use, like how to do the buy, sell, or like when's a good opportunity. So this kind of really automates all that for them, gives them peace of mind. And they can have the feeling of, yeah, my money's working for me, but also not the stress of, am I doing this wrong? Or like what's happening? So this makes absolute sense. I'm a pretty fan of this right now. We think about that too. We believe, look, we're not the first people to do this and we're not going to be the last, but our whole angle and why we don't think there's a household name this has been done before, but it's been created for like the 1% of people who are active traders and can stare at a chart or basically build their own bot. You know, we have a friend of the business, you know, his name is James. I don't know if he'll hear this and if he does, maybe he won't like it, but we have called some called the James rule, right? Our buddy's in construction, right? He's on the site all day. He's just working hard labor. He cannot use any of our competitors. He wouldn't know how to do it. He couldn't stand a chance, but he can come on peak bot and in three steps, I have a stock trader in his pocket. So we wanted to keep it easy. And that's really why we think that there hasn't been somebody to scale this because nobody's made it as simple as we have. So um, hopefully that answers a lot of the question there. Yeah. We're going to be talking about this week on week and, and sharing kind of where we're at uh, with the stocks we talk about. So I think that's going to be very fun. Now, like where you guys are going with this, because you talk to me and you're like, Dylan, like, right now is what you see is going to look way different than three months from now, six months from now. So do you have any other bots coming out? Like the UX, UI we talked about is, is going to get better and better, of course, as well. But if you can give us a sneak peek of what's to come here. Sure, Ben, I'll quickly answer on the UX and then I'll hand it to you for some upcoming bots. Sure. What you guys saw when we shared our screen, that's kind of our MVP, our minimum viable product. We know it's not the Excellent. greatest layout. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it lacks a little bit of a sex appeal. I'm glad you said it. Yeah, um, you wouldn't want however, to bring it to the bar. <laughs> right, right. However, it's functionality, right? It works and it's consistent and you can count on it. Um, but we're going to have a totally new layout. Uh, maybe at some point we'll actually share with your audience what it's going to look like. But um, we definitely have some improvements coming there. And then I'll hand it to Ben to talk about some of the new bots in the pipeline. The the layout might, might even be available next time we record. We're going through a pretty big UI UX overhaul right now. Other than that, we've got two bots that are entering our uh, beta testing. So we've got a group of beta testers that are just now starting to trade two new bots. One's an equities bot, one's another options bot. I'll talk about the options bot just because it's similar to wheel. We don't need to go down the, the concept of, of the other strategy. But the options bot, it's a cash secured put bot. And it's doing the same thing with the wheel. It's opening up a contract on Monday, a weekly expiring contract. Now, instead of, if on Thursday, Friday, if that contract is in the money, instead of letting that contract expire in the money, and then get the signed shares, what the bot's going to do is actually going to roll that position to the next week. So it's going to close that cash secured put, probably take a loss on it, um, but that's okay because we're going to mitigate that loss 
with the premium that we earned for rolling that contract to the next week. Um, and we're, we're going to roll it at the negative 0.25 delta again. So we're going to lower our strike price even further. We're going to collect some more premium. We're going to mitigate our loss. And then we're going to basically reset for the next week. Um, so instead of getting assigned shares and holding exposure over the weekend, um, it's a much more conservative strategy. I think it'll it'll earn less overall than the wheel does because uh, there's less risk involved. Obviously, risk, reward, there's that fine balance there. Um, but very excited for that update to come out. And then another very exciting update is we are integrating with a new broker. Um, can't say yet, but uh, just two weeks ago, I think at this point, um, we struck a Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> next show, next show, I can tell you what, what it rhymes with. But we're going through our final stage of integrations with them. We're moving into implementation with them. We're going to continue yeah. to expand our brokers, right? Because that's our thing right now. Look, we know where we fall short, right? If you're an everyday person and you want to use PeakBot, you need a TD Ameritrade account. And that's very simple to create, but we're going to continue to expand. We'll have more information on that new brokerage as we go here. But uh, I think one thing that's really important to mention for your audience, Avi, is we offer a two-week free trial. No credit card needed. If you have a TD Ameritrade account, you can get connected and start trading today or tomorrow. Our whole goal is to make you comfortable. And not to mention, right, like we're a young business, we're growing, we have jobs on top of this kind of thing, right? Not for long, which is good because we're seeing growth. But anybody who's listening to this, who creates a PeakBot account, you're going to get on the phone with me. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to show you your demo. I'm going to make sure I answer your questions and you get on your way. Is that scalable? Absolutely not. Is it work right now? For sure it does. And we'll provide a coupon code to your audience also for anybody who wants to. You got one live. Is it PTT Pod, all capital letters, will get you off for their first quarter. So we actually bill quarterly. We're a subscription based business. We got three different tiers that for you to select from, but starts as low as $19 a month. So with a coupon code, you do the math. I mean, talking like nine bucks a month for the first three months. Now, is there a paper trading version of this as well to try with the new brokerage? yet to be named, there will be. We anticipate paper trading to be available over the next few months for PeakBot traders to try it out. But right now, the two-week free trial, it's a live environment. You're putting your cash up and you're testing it out. Well, very cool. So we'll be sharing on, on social. We'll be talking about it on the podcast. And, and we're excited. And I, hopefully, my portfolio that I have and that we talk about constantly, we'll see what it does, like man versus machine. And then we're, of yeah. course, competing as well. So Hopefully you guys don't kick our ass. You guys are going to start taking the podcast mic from us and just start your own podcast, but we'll see how it goes. No, we're, uh, we're just excited. I think if we go wheel to wheel, I kind of like that name. Sure. We got a little experience, but we built this to be super simple. You're going to get the watch list. It's going to update every Sunday. You go in there, select what contracts you feel good about and go to bed. We certainly don't want to take up too much of your airtime here. We really yeah, appreciate This is very cool. So. It's usepeakbot.com and then use yeah. PTT pod as the promo code if you want to. If you want to hang out for a week, watch us do it. Totally understand. We're going to be talking about it every single week here moving forward. And so you guys will follow along and hopefully we kick ass and beat you guys at, at the wheel here that we got going. We encourage everybody to go, go to usepeakbot.com. We're the only algorithmic trading platform in the game who shares a full list of our traders' results. Go to our website, check out our results. Let us know if you have questions. 
All right, Dylan and Ben, one more time. It's usepeakbot.com, promo code PTTPOD. If not, you want to sit back and watch us again for a week, please feel free to do so. We're going to be talking about our results uh, weekly and just something you guys can keep up with each and every week. We're genuinely very, very excited about this, if you cannot tell. All right, that wraps up this week's midweek impromptu earnings recap. Thank you, PeakBot, for joining us here today. Thank you, Shy and Joey, as always. And we will be back here in just three days. See you guys on Saturday. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting honestly i never doubt it say the top is